So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. It has been a crazy last few weeks for not only the world, but for me and work and everything that's been uh, going on. We launched the book, as you all know, because we made a podcast about it, and the COVID-19 and everything else. And so me and Rock have been talking about, you know, what would be probably of not only the most interest, but the most help and what's on a lot of people's minds right now and how to move forward, what we're doing right now. So I hope you guys are okay with it. We wanted to get you guys caught up on not only what we're doing, that's a big part of this podcast, to, you know, we practice what we preach and um, how we're getting set up for future opportunities and uh, um, what we're seeing. Is that okay with you, Rock? I think so. Okay. Right on. We'll find a horse to beat to death because everyone that knows us knows we like to grab onto concepts and <laughs> knock Keep them riffing. out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's it's been an interesting time here um, with the release of certain states, COVID-19, the information that's coming out because uh, so many places are handling the situation differently. Right. Every state is different. And what businesses can operate, what can't. And we're seeing it all over the board. And this is not an environment that businesses like. Because as entrepreneurs, investors, we are constantly underwriting for the future. And making plans, allocating capital, budgeting, all those kind of things. That depends on at least a semi-clear picture of the future. Right. And right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think when you're especially starting out, that stuff makes you feel more out of control. And then you're more hesitant to actually move. Um, I don't think that's the right approach. Like pausing, pausing in the middle of it. I think it depends on what you're doing and how confident you are in what you're doing. I think a lot of people can use it as excuses, you know. But, but a lot of the real estate deals that I've been working on or trying to get going, a lot of the things that are, would have happened are falling through. And it's because banks are hesitating and a lot of the lending's tightening up. Yes. Um, I just closed on one of the a house that I'm remodeling and the process for them to uh, allow my loan to go through was insane. And so they're really strict, which I could see how that would cause businesses and everyone else to kind of slow down and be like, what are we doing? That constraint of capital, it, um, it it brings in an extra layer that literally months ago no one had. You didn't worry about getting capital. And if you need to fund deals with private investors and they're not sure about the future, right? they're putting on hold. And this is a cascading effect that we see in the economy, right? And recessions are an interesting thing because although there's always a cause, like there's a reason, we figure, we find that trigger that goes on. Um, recessions are really caused though by um, how people react. It, 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 and it, one thing's connected to another and like dominoes, they start to fall. So if I'm not sure about the future, I don't want to put capital to work. I stop hiring. I stop um, investing in my company. Stop I stop investing. Ads. I start run, running ads. And all of a sudden, 
this affects every time, you know, everyone's a purchaser, right? There's a purchaser and a seller, but every time you buy something or somebody sells something, that's somebody's income. And leverage is someone's income. So debt equals money. If you have debt, you're buying something, you're paying, you're building, all of that kind of stuff. So once that slows down, somebody on the other end is not getting what was expected. Right. And as that goes on, people start contracting, tightening up belts, companies start laying people off, and then that stops more purchases. Um, it's a ripple effect. It is. And, it, and, it, and it's a cycle that the government is try, tries to calm down, right? It's, it's like, nope, nope. And they do this by devaluing your money because what's happening, everybody holds off. So nobody makes decisions. They have it in cash. So the government says, okay, we'll make your cash worthless. So what do they do? They pump money into the economy. Is that the mentality or is the mentality more, we need cash moving and so we're going to pump it in. And in doing so, we make it worthless. Yeah. They, well, so if you look at capital and how it works in the economy, deflation is what you're trying to stop. Right. Deflation means the falling prices of investments, businesses, because if you think about deflation, if you know that something's going to be cheaper tomorrow, you're never going to buy it today. So when everybody thinks that something's going to be cheaper they tomorrow, nobody buys, it gets cheaper. They keep thinking it's going to get cheaper and there's no bottom. So what happens is the money is worth more than the assets. But my, theoretically. I, yeah, theoretically. theoretically. And I would argue right now that everyone thinks that way. But since they pump so much money into the economy, it's the opposite. And the only thing is going to retain, yes. it's actually going to shoot house prices up because everyone's going to have capital. Exactly. And the only, like what you're going to want to have is real estate so that you're, you can ride that equity wave up. And as those values increase, you can get the benefits of that. hundred percent. That's why I was hesitant to sell anything, yeah. but I saw some friends selling stuff because they were panicking. Yeah. And I'm like, I wouldn't do that because as long as like, it's different, I guess, depending on where you live, but here in Idaho, Treasure Valley, I mean, it's exploding. So just, it's like shooting fish in a barrel when it comes to, to houses, as long as people keep moving here, whether it's from Utah, Texas, or California, um, which I guess theoretically that could stop if people's house prices over there drop. Because I would assume that the mentality is I could sell my price for, or my house for X price, bring all that cash over here, get way more for my money with a better way of uh, life. Yes. And I guess that could stop depending on the values there. Well, and that's a, it's a perfect example because if we look at your thought process, your, um, your thought process is don't sell because it'll be worth more. So that's the, that's the opposite of deflation. So when the government injects capital, that causes – so when you get too much capital, the capital has nowhere to go. That causes inflation, which means that assets rise in price. So everybody hurries and gobbles up assets, which increases the price of assets. It puts money to work. You start hiring people, and it's the reverse of deflation. And that's what you want. Don't you think that's kind of what's happening? It though? is. That's, but, that's but what the government's trying the to do. They yeah, turn okay. on the printing press and say, you better you buy, better buy debt. You better buy bonds, stocks, real estate. Because we're devaluing your money, right? And so you better you better put it somewhere that's useful. And so they're trying to manage money and manage expectations. Now these are things that a lot of people they get worried about, and so because they can't control it, right? Right, and they feel out of control because 
it also is scary because it looks like everything's so bad the government has to save us. And it's not that that's untrue. True, it actually is, right? 2008, if it wasn't for the government, we would have been in a depression. Right. Right? But um, I, I think one of the things that we've learned is the government in this stage in our country's history, they have no bounds. Well, and I they, think- They are open about it. They're saying, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to save the economy. I don't even think it's saving the economy. It's saving the biggest corporations with taxpayer dollars. And I like, cause, cause you could say, well, what is the economy? Is it the small business owner, which for the vast majority of the economy it is. And with those PPP loans and all the money they were pumping, they didn't give a fraction of what uh, was allocated to those small businesses. They bailed out these gigantic companies that were doing stock buybacks the whole time. And so, you know, the politicians kind of went around uh, the 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 90% of business owners yeah. kind of shafted them all and gave most of those funds to wh- whatever big corporations needed those bailouts yeah. when they technically shouldn't have been bailed out, in my opinion. Yeah. I would have rather watched them go under, yeah. have, I mean, what was it? Um, pri- the three biggest private equity firms, uh, KKR, Blackstone, and one other one, what's Carlyle Group. They have over a trillion dollars in cash. Yeah, that have they were them, waiting. Have them be the backup. Buffer. Right, but they but they couldn't do anything because the government bailed them out. Because the government bailed everybody out. Well, this comes down to a fundamental problem that um, we talk about. This this conversation was so big in two thousand and eight um, because it's called moral hazard. And they opened the door. And they opened the door for yeah. it. And when you what moral hazard means is that if you if you protect them from failing. The moral hazard is that now they have no incentive to do the right thing. Right. And when we looked at it, even, you know, me, when I was getting, I was ready to buy. I was ready for opportunities to buy. And by the government pumping money into the economy and giving it to businesses that weren't in a position to survive without it, they stopped my business from growing. Right. And they actually made it. To where you have to look and say, well, why the heck were well, I could have grown twice as fast? I could have leveraged up. I could. Why have, am I saving? You know, why reserves? am I saving reserves if I can't put them to use? And this idea of that companies um, should fail, this is a natural good thing, but at the same time, politicians get fired when that happens. So they are looking to not create a domino effect. So if you don't bail out, so as we found in the Great Recession, like corporations, they hold debt. They have tens of thousands of employees. They have lobbyists. They have they make noise. It hits the, the news. It has at. well, it's it it's a whole multitude of things. I mean, there are companies that it just doesn't even matter. Right now in the United States, they are too big to fail. We should have never gotten here, but they are. We can't, like, our, our system couldn't survive. Well, and you know what I think failing, is... And that's bad. I'm just going to go on an anti-government rant right now. Yeah. No FBI. I'm, yeah. <laughs> They're listening. They're listening. Um, <laughs> but, like, but if you think about it, there's no, there's also no repercussions to politicians having that revolving door when it comes to big pharma or big corporations. So you, you can see, and I, I was, um, there's a series called Dirty Money on Netflix, and I don't agree with a lot of it just because you could tell it's propaganda from the, from the left, which I don't care. Right. 
but at the same time, some of those stories are really interesting because I would go, I'd watch the series and this one specifically was on Valiant Pharmaceutical, um, which um, everyone knows Martin Shkreli, the most hated man, raised that. So Valiant's business model was doing what Martin Martin got caught for doing once, right? Their whole business model was to find uh, pharmaceutical companies that were making a difference and doing impactful research. They would uh, do a merger acquisition, completely rip apart their R&D and force the value through high marketing. Uh, just just shoot that, the value up. So what was $70 is now seven seventy thousand per pill or whatever. And their whole business model was built on that. And they eventually failed. But you could see how they were getting around it. I think I want to say it's it Valiant. One of the regulating commissions of uh, the pharmaceutical industry, some of the some of the up, higher up guys, they would revolving door from Valiant over to the to go, the government agency. So you could see how there's no um, oversight from high level government uh, regulatory agencies and the the very companies that they're regulating. Yeah, look at the uh, the rating agencies uh, with the in banks. 2008 with the banks. They were paid to give ratings. So it's like it's so, and that's the problem. When people say the rich, you know, sure. You might be in the one percent, but you're not the like the rich that's that's being quoted, because the people that are being quoted are the corrupt. Um, it, I view it as corruption. It's technically legal, but they get they get their money and their power from changing the game and the system. That's totally different. Those people are changing the the game and the system in their favor, so they get to reap the rewards. But I would argue that. Well, and I don't know if you're arguing for it. No, I'm arguing against, against it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's because like, you shouldn't be able to. I need to be able to play by the same rules that you need to. Exactly. And so when people change the rules and the game in their favor, it's an unplaying, especially when you have a level playing field. Especially when you have an ethical position to um, look out for the, the the moral good of that industry. Yeah. When and and I was looking at it, and it happened with the HSBC bank fraud. Did you see that where? It's a famous story. It's not a story. It's a famous, um, just what happened with HSBC Bank was they're they funding terrorism for like months because of negligence. And they were getting alerts and everyone knew, like it was clear to the Russian mob, um, uh, Al-Qaeda, all of these uh, organizations, they could just run their, their wire fraud and all their, their, um, their funding of terrorism through HSBC Bank. And what happens is up at the highest level, they only got a billion dollar fine for funding terrorism for like eight years. Um, but what happens at those highest levels is whether your government or the, or the highest level of those corporations, they all, they're all friends. They're all watching each other's backs and they're doing the backdoor thing. And I think with, with what we're talking, kind of circle back where, uh, you're talking about the funding of, uh, what, what we just went through. Was it like, was it 6 trillion or three? It was yeah, a yeah. crazy just amount of trillions. Know where we're at now. Yeah. And nobody really knows where the money went. Um, I'm sure there's, there's some tracking, but. But the money didn't go to what it was the media publicized it to go to, right? Everyone talked about PPP loans. I think there was only like, I want to say maybe a trillion of that, maybe 800 billion to every small business in America um, that are, are, we talked about, they're, they're reshutting back down, right? And, and no one really is tracking uh, where, where uh, these different super PACs or wherever this money went, um, it just that that's what bothers me about the whole uh, bailout system. Yeah, it's just it's well, it's and and two backwards. it's weird because um part of economics is 
um, investing in business is that I understand my risk and uh, I make decisions based upon that risk. And when you don't have that risk, it changes your behavior because we are incentive-based human beings. So we do whatever incentive is best for us, and we make the rules associated with those incentives. That's The tax code is an incentive-based program. It has nothing to do with actually paying the government. Well, a little. It's like 6%. Um, but it's all based upon the incentives that are put in place because the government framework is not allowed by our constitution and how it's set up to do a lot of the functionalities that we need to survive. So the tax code is based to push money around where it needs to go. That's what the tax code is. It's just an incentive base for money to do the things that the government can't, right? So people don't just hoard it. So people don't, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you have a system that is based on incentives, rewards, and risk, and that playing field is not even, so there are certain people that don't have the same risk. Um, yeah, it, that's really frustrating because as a entrepreneur and business owner myself, I believe in free market systems. Yeah. I, I want my ability to compete and I don't like the government's involvement because the government, first of all, I don't like when people pick and choose. I think it needs to be off merit-based and that's what this kind of stuff looks like, right? So all of a sudden, now we look at it and you say the government's picking winners and losers. Which they are. Which they are. And that's, um, it, you know, there's a fundamental feeling of this isn't a fair system. I should be rewarded off my merits. And two, if they can't fail, then it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's like a forest, right? If you have this old trees and these trees never die, you never get anything new. It produces an actually really bad forest. The trees need to die and it sprouts in new life. That's why technology is so powerful. It is. And uh, when it, you need a, these companies, they, they, when they're not doing things that are good for consumers, they need to go away. Like, yeah. And they need yeah. to bring in new companies need to sprout up that can take hold and deliver superior products, goods, and a better way for consumer, right? That's this. This is capitalism. This right. is how how it works. And what we see now is you have these these points where capitalism is stopped, which is what what we've had. Capitalism is not the working government right stepped now in and, and basically over. said we're going to play capitalism, but they're not actually playing capitalism. No, right? they're because not. when they say this airline lives and this one dies, or hey, wait a second, we'll just dump all this taxpayer money into these airlines that couldn't keep their balance sheet properly. And and there's the argument that, well, wait a second, the government stepped in and shut our business down, which isn't capitalism either, right? Exactly. But but whichever way you're looking at it, we're not playing capitalism anymore. And it makes me, when I look at the whole thing, I'm just like, what, what kind of, what is this? You know, because you have politicians that don't understand business dictating business that's not even capitalism anymore. So it's it's yep. very, I mean, cronyism, big brothery. Yes. And it's just like, well... What's the point of building a business? Go nihilistic on everybody right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rocks going What's down the point there. of life? No. Um, <laughs> but like, it, it makes you wonder, well, wait a second. If I'm building a business, but and I know that the biggest person in my industry, they'll get bailed out. Like, and I won't. And I won't. What, like, that's not what yeah. this is about. And when you, and the, the reason why and what we're seeing, you, you can see this feeling and, and everything, and as everybody's mad, it seems right now. Everybody's just mad, yeah. right? Yeah. 
and the reason being is the structure and the game and everything, this, the whole thing on how that dictates results. and everything. It, In America, we've never once ever had the game stop. Yeah. It's never stopped before. Now, it's had horrible consequences, and the game really sucked for a long time, like the Depression and the Great Recession, things like that. But nobody just said, we're going to hit pause on capitalism for a while. Which, and we're going to go a different route and then we'll turn it back on later. And two, they were talking about this was done in like a month. This was not something that was like outrageously well thought out. This wasn't so so many of these answers and so many of these the rules were made up as they went along. So by the people original that didn't PPP know. by the yeah. people that didn't know when they originally gave out the PP program, they changed the rules a month later after everybody had signed up and taken the money yeah and then they changed all the rules and then everybody got mad so they changed them again and they keep changing them and so that's when you look at this as an investor an entrepreneur when you're trying to get started when you're trying to figure out the lay of this land i there's just there's so much frustration right now um because the business owners people that didn't get bailed out the ones that are unemployment skyrocketing um, we have a tale of uh, two economies in the United States, and uh, um, you, it's very, it, it is very based regionally. Some areas are booming, right? So you have out west a lot of areas that are doing really well, and then you have areas in the Midwest and the Northeast that are, are going down. And so you have all these different playing fields right now, when I, and it's frustrating. Oh, that, and I also think that with the way this came about, it's slaughtered uh, any sort of retail form of business because because you say everything's it's two economies dude i mean i don't know one online business that's doing bad right now and i'm sure there are i'm sure but most of my friends that run e-commerce stores they're having record times and um i think it's like me and i just spent like an hour looking at big box store opportunities like we are seeing the biggest transition um that well they'll talk about this in 100 years and say wow like kids will ask their parents why is there a gigantic uh whether it's a storage facility or a gigantic gym or whatever that's filling their old kmart hobby lobby dick sporting goods why is that there because they won't even understand that in the past that's how it was i mean we're looking at a three hundred and fifty thousand square foot building sitting empty just yeah. falling apart yep and and like literally i've, I've found they're every probably everywhere. 50 and these are good ones like Good buildings that could be converted and, and great locations, main roads. Yeah. And you look at the, the shift that like that had already begun. That, that had started probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, the decline. And I think over in 2020, they're set to, I, I want to say whether it's JCPenney, Macy's, Dick's, uh, GameStop, they're all, it's, this is it. Like we're in, we're watching the cusp happen and, um, we're, we're going to see this this shift over into e-com, direct-to-consumer e-com. And um, even Heinz, okay, during the, during the pandemic, this is crazy, uh, Heinz launched their Shopify store, Heinz Ketchup, blew up. It's it, it, like one of, the, one of the biggest Shopify store successes with like, I think they launched with like eight ketchup flavors. And it was gigantic on Shopify because they weren't getting the direct-to-consumer demand that, or the, the, the market consumer demand because a lot of these these whether it was the grocery stores being overwhelmed or whether it was most of their normal buyers not being able to buy they had to pivot and i think they're going to realize well wait a second we can acquire customers at three bucks with facebook ads 
and we're selling tens of thousands of units a month, um, that shift is now coming from the brand side because before it was just the shift from competition going online. Now we're seeing it from brands realizing, wait a second, I don't even need uh, retail partners, wholesale partners. I can just go direct to my consumer and, and they'll come to me. So I think now, okay, I'm going to go deep into something here really quick because um, this is what you've talked about is a really important change and not on a way that a lot of people are thinking about it. Because for those people that say, oh, I don't care about retail, I don't care about those things. It's, it's not, to me, it's not bad business models die, others die. The, the change that we're seeing is a, um, so let me, let me express it in this way. When you have a business and you own the business and it was a brick and mortar store, I don't care who you are. You don't even, not big retailers, anybody. Um, you own the land. You own the distribution. You own the traffic coming in. Um, that's all yours, right? So what's happening is we are aggregating the economy into the hands of a very few. Oh, yeah. So right now, if I, you want to start a company, you have to pay to play. And so before that never existed, if I wanted to start a company, I could go buy a piece of land and I could build a building. I could set up a car lot. I could start selling toys. I could do all sorts of things. Now, if I want to start selling online, there are five companies that if I don't pay, I don't get to play the business and I have to use them. And I ha- and everyone does, and so what was a fragmented economy is concentrating astronomically quickly due to technology because technology is an aggregator. It is not a disbursement. One hundred percent. It's not fragmenting. It doesn't give. It aggregates everyone into one usage, and that's that's scary. Well, dude, e- even more to build off that. Not only are you are you tied to the fangs, right? Facebook, Amazon, all those. You're you're also seeing consolidation on the the consumer brand side. Yeah. So like what what happened six years ago when um, Instagram, Facebook, and all these other ones were kind of hitting their prime and peak is you'd seen an explosion of direct to consumer brands, and now like I couldn't do what I did five years ago. And I see people starting to do it and I'm like trying to compete. I'm like, you're, you're not going to do it. It's not going to work because the what's barriers hap- of entry have gone up. All my competition is multimillion dollar companies. There's no, there's no small players. And what well, that's it. We consolidated the marketplace. We're acquiring customers at a price that you could never work at. And that's why I'm saying the consolidation on, on retail might've taken 50 to hundred years. The consolidation on e-commerce could take 10 and that's what I'm saying with... And when we say e-commerce too, you have to understand. I, and people say, oh, I'm not selling good stuff. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. So if you own any business, I don't care. I don't care what it is. How do you get customers? How do customers find you? How do they utilize your services? How do they pay you? Well, guaranteed, there's one big tech company that you're paying to facilitate all of this. If you want customers, you have to pay Google, right? Even if you're a brick and mortar now, yeah. you've lost. So we've lost control 
in a lot of parts of our business that we've given. Now, now too, well, I'm not bashing on them because it's way better. Lost, though. It's I, way better. I, I wouldn't even say you lost the control, though, because technically you almost have more control. And I guess it depends on the industry because I would say you have more control because now you can uh, like go, now you can compete with your with your uh, competition on the same platform. And as long as you're better. Whether Unless have, Google decides they don't want you to. True, true. Which, which they do. It depends on the industry. So, like, I have a buddy that sells gun parts, and he does, like, a couple like a couple million a year. And he can't sell on Shopify. He can't advertise through Facebook. And he's aware of that, so he's on big commerce. He runs people. He's primarily on Amazon, too. And, you know, he has to shift his business model to meet, to meet those things. And, you know, I don't... It's their business, so it's like, well, who am I to tell them how I can advertise, right? And and I get the censorship too, but at the same time, it's like, well, I will build a business that doesn't impede their beliefs because well, I'm trying to play the game. Yeah, but the problem with that theory is it's actually not true. So when monopolies and how it's set up and how it's always been in the United States, once you are no longer able to access... so. Um, monopolies are network effects, right? So that's all they are. Yeah. And um, so you cannot compete against Google because you don't have the network effect, right? Right. So the layering of the network effect and established, that's how come these companies got so big because they knew once we get it, we can't be toppled down. I mean, you, 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 because the network effect, that's why Facebook won't go away even though everybody hates it. Well, I, I would say, yeah, they are monopolistic and I think that, that, yeah, they can control the traffic and, and it's funny how they argue that they're not, you know, they are the internet. They are. So 90% of all customers uses under 10 ways to access the internet. Right. And and I, I think that when you're looking at a brand on the brand side of things, you either need to play in the box or you're, or you can't really play at all. And, um, that could be why retail, like the, like I always think of Dick's, you know, like Dick's sporting goods, like they're not going to make it like they're, and they have to know that. Like I, the management team at Dick's sporting goods looks around and they're like, wow, we're finished. Let's just hold out until we get our bonuses and I need to find something new. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. And even, even if they had Facebook, um, Google, Amazon, whatever, they still couldn't do it because their entire business model is predicated on on being on a on a on a corner of a big intersection, having everything you could want for sporting, um, that's that that that's that's it, they've been voided by Amazon. The, same thing with bodybuilding.com. You look at bodybuilding.com, they they missed their prime because what they should have been doing is buying the brands that they were retailing. And I I remember thinking that when I worked their customer service, I was looking around. And I'm like, so wait a second, we don't own any of the companies, but we sell them and make a piece but we are the biggest supplement company and i was always thinking if i was them i'd be building my own brands and buying them uh, when they had the power in four years but i think amazon like cut their revenue in half in four and and they did that with better shipping and better customer service and just i mean well and that's the network effect so network effects don't allow more people to be in it's not designed that way. So how technology, so if you're using an aggregated system and when we do, so the network effect from Google, right? If you take Google, the reason why you use Google is because it has the network effect and ability to get you the customers, put it all together, everything like that. If you don't have that, you can't play 
in that field, right? And so when you look at the aggregation of these companies and even sites that they used to be the site to do it, right? That was their business model. That was, it always concentrates into not technically one, but a few, like three, right? And because that's how technology works. We can't have millions of apps and millions of options and we're all going to the same place. It used to be the network effect was localized and you could go to new markets, you could do to go to new places. But you have to win on the front page or on the screen of an iPhone. So you it's it just can't happen. You can't have a million people winning on the front page of an iPhone for the same thing, right? Yes. I yeah, I agree. But I think that the opportunity to rank or um or, or advertise your way to the front page is still it still exists. It, yes, it would absolutely. Still be, like if sure, you use the platforms, you right. can absolutely be successful. Right. And but yeah, I, yeah, I won't argue that yeah, yeah. That, that and so that but what 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 it's saying though is that that's such a change in the way we operate as a country. So if you think about how once again you go to a town, you own the land, you own your business, you own everything, these companies have become um, not only just so large, now their infrastructure, the way that the labor force has been basically obliterated in regions of the United States that are dead zones now, and they're being more concentrated. And so capital and people are moving and more and being more concentrated. And what we're seeing going on in, in the United States, it's an economic effect that people, they feel that the parties, they feel that the system's rigged like you talked about, and they, it is. It, it is, yeah, and they feel that the system's rigged, and they feel that they can't not compete, they can't play, yeah. and to a large extent, that's, that is true, it's not like it used to be, like, I couldn't go in a town and compete with Bob, right, I now have to compete with Steve out of New York, who owns a hedge fund, and has $400 million really for point. the fa- same screen, I, I can't win that thing. So opportunity is also consolidating. Now, I'm not saying this is an excuse, and I'm not saying it's a bad I was thing. Say, yeah. Anything else like that? That's not what I'm saying. You because can still I, compete. Yes, it's actually easier to compete because the cost of entry depend. Like when I think of e-commerce, but before you need to have developer come and build your website, which might cost you twenty grand. Now you can pay Shopify thirty bucks, right? So technically, yeah, things are consolidating because of technology, but also the ability the opportunities are different right and the ability yes. to start um has so never been easier, easier. Yeah. yeah it's way easier and it's the, way harder to get big and the education um, too to to oh, to get it yeah. like you can go to youtube and figure out anything you want now we were talking about that on my bigger pockets podcast where i'm like you don't understand when i started in storage if i wanted to learn about how to operate a storage facility i had to go to the library and look to see if they yeah. offered a book on storage. And if they, there was no podcast, I didn't get it. There was no podcast. There was no Facebook. There was no, you know, those, those things just didn't literally exist. And so there's massive opportunity. Um, but it's changing and it has changed so quickly and it's so different in a 10, 10 year period of time. People haven't figured out how to work in our new economy and they haven't figured out how, like when you look at, a lot of the people that feel disenfranchised and how they need to keep up and what they need to do. Um, 
for me, I look at a few things at every business that we start. Because you're right, the, the amount of opportunities for somebody starting out has never been easier. Oh, no. Never. Yeah, yeah. It's not even comparable. You can start out with almost nothing. You need you need an access to podcasts. Like when I think of my education, one, I met you when I was young. I was, I got, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say I was lucky because I, because through the internet, I realized there's these meetups that I can go to and I just kept going to those meetups and I met you. So finding a mentor is probably the best way to truly get hands-on education. But at the same time, people will say, well, I haven't met some dude who owns a hundred million dollars worth of storage, blah, blah, blah. And, and sure you haven't, but here's the thing. You have your phone and you're listening to this podcast right now. So you can listen to me and AJ have conversations all day. All day. All day. Like, and that's what I would do when that I was working. we sat um, eating out and sat and had the... We had these same we conversations. Had the exact same conversations we're talking about. And because as you as we talk about these things and we, we look at this changing landscape in the economy, we're talking about where opportunity lies and where it doesn't lie. This, these are really important conversations. And especially when you're a long-term investor and business owner and understanding this idea of where the economy is headed. Um, you, you guys have heard this analogy so much, and I keep bringing it up about the fisherman versus the grizzly bear, because um, you need to be a grizzly bear. You need to sit in the middle of a river where fish can jump to you instead of sitting on the bank, hoping that a fish comes by. And so many people fish in dead water. They're not getting fish and everything. So you need to put yourself in a path of opportunity. And we live in a time where you can do that. Right. So people don't live in castles that are blocked away and you don't even know what's going on. You have no insight to conversations. Um, So in a way, we've gone through a period of time in history where the system was so rigged before the United States got started because it was uh, mandated by governments. It was agopolis. It was kings. It was, you know, that kind of stuff. As the United States experiment went through, we broke down those barriers and said, no, you can go out and we're going to leave it up to you, right? And you go to it. Then we had this huge boom. And then as the industrial age came through, we had a lot of people that figured out I can use systems and I can consolidate. And the industrial age was a consolidation period of time. You had the barons, you had uprisings, you had breakdowns from the governments. There were lots of problems. And then they flushed back opportunity to make it even again. And you can see and it, then it started now. again. We are having, we are in the middle of Bezos, Zuckerberg. Um, you can name uh, the page. There's, the- there's 10, 15 people in the United States. And the problem that we have now though, is when you look at the barons, what they had to do and the amount of time it took them to do People are eclipsing that in years, yeah. like a few years. This was un, this is unrecognizable growth. The top 10 largest companies in the world in the 90s had all been around for like decades. In 10 years, we have eight new ones. It's the globalization the effect. Like, and and te- how technology... Borders bo- don't affect, affect exactly. them. Governments don't know what to do with them. Well, you look at Zoom and how they blew up in, what, eight months? They, they added billions. In re- and, it, and it's simply through opportunity. And, and I think that the issue with the industrial age, and it's not even an issue, it's just the way it was, is that they were dealing with things and people. And now you don't really... All you, you don't need them. It's air. You're it's dealing air. with air. Yeah. And compound. Amazon like is a website. 
you know, and yeah. and yeah, they've built a distribution framework. There's infinite scale. Exactly. Infinite th- scale. And it's, I think once you got it, you can go straight up. Yeah. And uh, the the and two, then it sucks. The network effect creates an effect where you have bo- you have barriers of entry that cannot be surpassed because those barriers of entry were already dictated by consumers and time, yeah. right? So w- the barrier of entry of Google, we've created. We've all created it, yeah. right? And you know, you we create it in a flash. Yeah. What's being? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's true though. It's true though. Because, it is. Yeah. Because it's the best that people say, what's the best business to get started in? Starting a business where society dictates you as the one. Yeah. Is the best business. And technology is a winner takes all. Yeah. That's why I don't like technology because I don't know if I'm going to be that winner. I can't, right. I can't predict that Mind outcome. Mind you, what storage does though is very similar. What you're doing with storage, you're consolidating storage. Yes. And so this is, and once again, this is when we come into the opportunities. So when I grew up, um, there was a consolidation going on. The consolidation that was going on was through technology and it was starting to happen in like the service-based businesses. So what happened was my father worked for a huge national company, multi, you know, billions of dollars. And that company had all these people, all these really smart people that could do underwriting. They could do pro, uh, projections. They could do trends. They could manage capital. They could do reporting little guys didn't have access to that because they couldn't pay a hundred people. They didn't have access to that because they didn't have someone making the report. But when I came into the business and what happened was we were able to use technology to take the advantages of the big guy down to us. Okay. That advantage allowed us to start growing rapidly and we started buying other people and we started going through in an age of consolidation in that industry. And that industry started consolidating massively um, because of all sorts of different reasons. That was one of the things we identified in storage. So storage had basically no technology. Like they just were operating. It was very mom and pop. And we saw, okay, this is going to be disrupted. And my thesis was this industry is going to consolidate just like the last one. We can do the same thing. We can use technology to get an edge that these big guys do we can be a part of the consolidation and we can grab and, and, and uh, use it in our advantage because nobody else is. Yeah. So we can act like a big guy, right? And this is one of the things that technology does, okay? And this is the, when you're looking at opportunity, you need to understand, this is so important because technology, it although it eliminates market competition, it opens doors and allows you to compete in ways that you never could before. So, I'm not going to go compete with Google because I can't win. Um, but I knew I could win in storage. Nobody was using technology and it wasn't being done effectively. And we could utilize Google. We could utilize all these companies and CRMs and we could do this kind of stuff, which made it so we could manage properties all over the country without having a huge labor force. So we could do it profitably. Well, and, and you bring up a good point in that, like it doesn't you I can I can peel what you're saying there and overlay it onto uh, a direct to consumer brand because 100%. you look at you look at these ones that have insulated themselves like Yeti or like um, even even Nike or Under Armour sure they're multi billion dollar companies and I don't know if Yeti is but you know what I mean like they're, these are gigantic companies that have insulated themselves within a certain sphere you could today and like and this has only been recent right yeah. you could launch your own website 
create your own versions of those products and start selling direct to those customers. You have the same access to their selling channels. You have the same access to their manufacturing. It's, uh, it's really, it's, it's the, the playing field has been leveled. And uh, like, that's how you look at Gymshark, the story of Gymshark that they've been around for six years worth 500 million. Like that's their revenue. Um, they didn't exist. The kids started at 20. Like you look at that, 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 that growth trajectory norm. People would normally say, well, Nike's insulated. You can't compete with Nike. Well, it was, it was. And, and now you're seeing how they utilized Instagram, Facebook and Google and like these social media platforms and flipped it on its head to some to, to the level that Nike couldn't probably couldn't understand because Nike could have done what they had did with weightlifting and, and fitness they because they made it cool they 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 put a put a logo and an ethos behind a growing fitness trend and they caught that wave um, and that wave existed for that moment like nobody's going to come back. There's lots of copycats. Nobody can catch that wave again. Well, and this is okay. That point right here, we got, we got to stop at this point because you just nailed something right on the head. When you look at what's going on and this is why it's so important for people to understand and here, as we're thinking through these thought processes, and what we're talking about, there are industries that are ripe for opportunity and there's industries that are dead yes. for opportunity. So many people go into dead industries because they've already seen the outcome and the outcome is amazing. So yeah, that's they, why they go into they it. They copy because they think that they can get the same result. And there's no way no they chance. can. No chance. So you missed those it. matured industries that have already gone up, they're gone. They've sunsetted. When we went into storage, I didn't even tell anybody I was buying storage facilities because it was not cool. And like now, it now was, you're a superstar. Exactly. And now it's like everybody wants to know about storage. And when we started out, no, it was a junkyard. It, like I literally didn't tell people. And it, so when you look at these, the, these, these waves and these trends in the economy, I don't care if you're investing. I don't care if you're starting a business. I don't care if it's single family homes, if it's multifamily, if it's commercial. And a lot of people, I think they, they approached real estate so poorly because when you looked at the wave in retail, what happened instead of identifying these economic trends and waves in business that affected real estate, what was basically a government bond, commercial real estate, it was the safest asset in the world. It was never going away, was gone in 10 years. And that was, that was not even fathomable when I grew up. Like I, you, we couldn't even imagine something like that. Right. And if you look at it now, this is happening all the time. And so when I look at real estate, I'm looking at trends. I'm looking at what's going on in the economy and the business world and the consolidation. When we look at opportunities, even when we're looking at businesses to start, I'm looking at businesses that haven't um, consolidated to that point, right? All industries, there's bigger players and everything else like that. But there's industries that have built such massive walls that you just can't almost break in or anything's possible. Hold on. I'm going to say this. Anything's possible. You can overturn the big guys, yeah. but odds. odds are not in your favor. Exactly. And you, you're trying to create the odds. You're trying to create something that doesn't exist. So what I would do off that, it, like literally that's a perfect segue. Cause I was thinking, well, cause you said you, you just explained how you approach it. I always, uh, with real estate, yeah. I always, whenever I'm thinking about it and like how I break things down, it's funny because I, I look at um, like big shifts and, you know, working here, working for you and, and, and seeing how things were 
when I started and when I left, there were two different industries. And I, I, like, j- I just think about extrapolating what's going on in the economy and figuring out, like, because the economy is just a basic gigantic ripple effect of, of everyone's actions. When, if you can see um, a trend happening and, and foreshadow the ripple effects that it'll have where money and opportunity could be created and get in front of it, then you then you're there before everybody else and i i view that reno deal that you guys did that's that's that because here i'll just give you guys an example like we've been looking for big box stores you know we we might have one here um and and you know it's funny because i had been aggregating this list for over a year and i go back and i look and u-haul or public storage or these big multi-billion dollar companies have already converted them and i saw the trend because we'd done one and I started to, to do that, that legwork, and there, it's already happening. Yeah. And then I, I look at it's the same thing with e-commerce. It's same, whatever business you're in, you can, if, you're, if, if you're well-read, you talked about this on your podcast today, if you get the knowledge to understand and critically think about how does this thing affect this thing and this thing, and if you can get down that line and foreshadow, well, wait a second, if everybody is doing this activity, paddleboarding, right? Everybody's big into paddleboarding now. If you had had a paddleboarding company and you could catch the wave of everybody starting to paddleboard, then you're in that niche to catch that wave. But now everyone's saying, oh, well, I should go start a paddleboarding company. Well, you don't know what it takes to get that company and you're missing the opportunity right now. Yeah, the ocean's bloody. You, you, so competition, you have to understand, is so expensive. And you need to figure out where your opportunity lies in these different markets. In your core competencies. In, exactly, within your core competencies, what you like, what you see, and then you need to appropriately match these trends and demand of other people. So it's this weird relationship with being self-aware as well as understanding what other people want and what's happening. I, I so, would even argue that it's not even what you like. No, I would, it's not. I would it's argue that it's- What it's, you can do good at. What, where are the needs- Yes. And, and how can you serve them? Yes. Exactly. And better than everybody else. And a lot of people, they go into they, they go into a business that the wave's already passed and the destruction's already there and all the dead companies and everything are littered around and they're expecting to be successful and it doesn't work. And the thing that you got to realize is it's not like we talk about these one or two or things. This is happening everywhere all the all time. All the time. In, in the ways that you can't even imagine. And we, we don't even know. No, I have no idea. Yeah. There's In the next few years, there will be countless people that will make hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in some weird niche that a wave is coming in yeah. where they're like, Dude, no, everybody t-sheets. needs this. Yeah, t-sheets. T-sheets. It's a great example. Exactly. Well, these, these guys were like, I didn't know about them really at all. Yeah. Just sold to Intuit two years ago. For what, four hundred million? Four hundred million, yeah. So, and w- literally, an industry we have no idea about, yeah. but somewhere along the line, into its consolidating tech companies that are, are feeding their primary purpose. Yep. And, Accounting. And not only do we not understand those opportunities or what's going on around that or what the ripple effect is. Yeah. But uh, Matt or whoever, who, uh, Matt the CEO. Yeah. Knew that, or he didn't even know it. No. He had started so, twenty years ago, and he started in the industry, and he identified. Listen. This whole payroll processing and time tracking and everything else like that, that's all going to be done online. So we might as well get building out the infrastructure so we can do it. And that's how the company was created. And this is really important. And and I need to be very clear on this. The timing is so important because you like I I hear a lot of people are like, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. 
And I'm like, okay, well, show me some kind of relevant evidence. And outside their hopes and dreams, there's actually no significant, meaningful evidence that shows that things are actually going that way. It's what they want. It's what they want. and Which is dangerous. It's very dangerous. So you need to be able to see these trends like the internet. Oh, okay, this is going to, you know, online. Which is what things. Bezos did. That's what Bezos did. Like exactly. The, That's you, exactly you know story, what right? he did. Yeah. He, he was an investment banker. And he saw how fast the internet was growing compared to everything else. And he's like, hmm, I need to go jump into that. And he found the category with the most SKUs. And that's books. There's, there's more books in terms of a product than any other category in the world. And he launched a book, uh, online bookstore. Because he saw the online trends of people joining online and consuming online. So the evidence supported, so the evidence showed him the trend that was going on. And he figured out the solution the to need. go into it. But he didn't go when you couldn't see a wave. He didn't go sit there and hope and pray that a wave was coming. He saw the wave and said, hey, I'm going to jump on. I'm going to ride it. Despite Barnes and & Nobles yes. and these gigantic companies. Which all laughed at him, yeah. right? Which all they were doing was ignoring the data. Yeah. And so when they were, pride got to them and other people, pride gets to, uh, gets to them where they say, oh, no, trust me, my idea is so good. The wave will come. The wave doesn't have anything to do with you. Right. And when we looked at storage, the, the data supported it. The data supported that this investment is not only a great investment, it's consolidating that because of how consumers in the United States. So if you look at real estate prices are rising, governments were getting more strict, the um, uh, the utilization of, of properties uh, was changing, and all of these things just naturally led, and the numbers showed this massive increase in utilization of storage. And then also the performance of operators that were operating in a certain way. We didn't invent it, but their results were so much bigger than these other ones. Yeah. And the other ones made up the vast majority of the market. Well, obviously, they were going to go that way because that's the performance is there, right? So it's not it's not nothing amazing. It's nothing crazy, right? We just it's, you say, listen, this is happening. And we need to put in the work, but knowledge allows you to identify these you things. You need to be methodical. To you, Absolutely. I, I had a buddy ask me, hey, what, what, uh, what do you think about this business? And he named this, this idea that he has. And I'm like, okay, is that what you want to be doing in five to ten years? And two, where does that take you? What, what, is, what, is, what is this industry going to become? What can you, what's the potential? Because if you think about it, you really have 20 to 30 years to really build something if you want to, if you, if that's what you want to do. Right. And this guy wants to do that. And I was like, dude, to explain to me where this road goes and what reason, like, and it was more like I can make money yeah. and that's not the good, re that's not a good no, reason. That's not a good reason because the people that approach it analytically, and it's funny now that we're talking about it, cause this is so true. They make the most money, but not because they want money. Yeah, you know? exactly. They, uh, they identify things correctly. And a lot, I just I worry that a lot of people are um, thinking about this, saying, "Oh, this is too big. This doesn't help me out." Let me. I want to bring this down really, really local and tangible. If I'm investing in a city, and I invest in the part of town that's going down, not up, what's going to happen to the value of that investment? Okay, this identifying these trends. We're talking where people move, how people work. If you go, why do I care about the fangs? I just want to have some multifamily properties. Are you investing somewhere where the employment base is not going to be around in five years? What's going to happen to the value of those assets in that neighborhood? Look at Detroit. 
this is not something that is isolated. This isn't something that doesn't affect you, doesn't affect your investment strategy. It doesn't affect, you know, it, it's, it all works together. And these trends that we see in the United States right now that are really blowing up and we see what's happening everywhere. The streets, people are mad and they've been mad at the big tech companies for a while. Congress is talking about breaking them apart. And you see this eruption going on. It's because of this economic change that's happening. And you got to make sure that you're in the right spot, not the wrong spot. And when I look at people, I, you know, I, I see a lot of people and I'm like, why don't you pick up and move? Like, go somewhere where it's going to be better. Go, go get in front of it. It's don't think that things are going to happen to you, for you, because of you. That's not how it works. You need to analyze what other people are doing, what they want, and where the demand is. And then on every anything, anything that you want to do. And then you need to invest and put your capital and work towards helping all of those people get what they want and need. So now we get into impact. How's the, where's the greatest impact that you're going to have? When we looked at self-storage for us, as well as all other businesses and other things we started, which I can get onto my service business and talk about how we've utilized technology here to do something totally different. But when you look at, when I looked at that, the fragmented market was so big that we could go big in that industry. I was like, there's so much to consolidate. Well, and also the, 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 what would you call that? The moat around your business. It's a hard, like, I mean, can I talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do, you do B2B insurance sales, which just so you, everybody knows, and I've been to those meetings with you. Not only do you have to be a really good salesman to close a CEO on their health benefits, but the it's like what, what's the average age like sixty of a sixty five broker? Think, yeah. So there's no competition. So when you see AJ and I've watched AJ demolish uh, sales like sales it, like it's intimidating and and I'm not hyping AJ up. I've been around a lot of salesmen. There, there's a special, and I've also seen Ron destroy a car salesman once. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, just just ruined. The dude was ruined. And I was like, it was like watching a, a lion and a, and a dog. And I think that's what comes from uh, from being in a really high barrier to entry business and cutting your teeth in it and getting really good. And and that's what creates that opportunity and, and creates that playing field for you to take. Because you're right. Like, there's... It's fragmented and nobody's going to compete because you have to gain that experience. And at 65, you're about to retire, right? You're, yeah. you're competi- you don't really have a lot of competition. That's why I never got out of the industry. Was So one of the reasons why I, I stayed in the service-based B2B sales insurance industry was because of some of these more big trends like Brock's talking about. You have an aging out population. Healthcare is getting more expensive. Um, and the aging population that's doing the service, none of the firms are doing utilizing tools at their disposal like they should be. Although every HR department, CFO, um, and every business are utilizing the tool. So they're not keeping up. And I don't think any of them uh, or a huge portion of the industry cares to keep up. Because they're going to be gone in five well, years. And you so launched, why do you care? You launched a year ago, yeah. roughly. And and what? You've probably surpassed in our market, like the vast majority. Yeah, the vast majority. And I didn't, and I, I did it easily working less than part-time. Yeah. Um, and the reason being is we just identified a few ways in which, first of all, the market 
is um, you approach sales the way that sales leads are qualified. But then we figured out uh, ways to service that client. And let me give you a basic example here, a perfect example. This is, And this was just something we just looked at and said, this is need, needs to happen. When you go through a reporting process to look at capital expenditure and the HR department's trying to figure out, okay, how much does, if we're self-funding or how much should we put money to and what happens to your health benefits? Everybody that's an employee knows that, you know, some years the HR decides to take away some benefits, costs go up or whatever it may be, and you're all ticked off, everything. They they need analytics to make these kind of decisions because it's a broad base of employees, affects everyone different, and it's huge amounts of money. Well, most of the time for firms, this process is transferred multiple hands to get to the end end client because you have the insurance carriers, you have underwriters, you have the salespeople, you have the brokers that need to take that data and make something useful. So they're putting it in Excel spreadsheets. They're doing everything themselves. Then they're going to the client. Then they're presenting that material. Once that client or that business decides, I want to look at all these different ways and maybe we'll do this. They go back and start the whole process over again. There's so many ways that things can make uh, get messed up. And also the ability to transmit the data in a way that anybody can understand it um, and see all of it at the same time is basically impossible. It just doesn't make sense. So what we did instead is we said, what we're going to use is we're going to use technology where we utilize the carrier system and we can present in live real time the effect of the benefit changes, marketing dollars and everything with the client. So we're sitting in with the meeting or my salespeople are sitting in the meeting and they say, well, what would happen if we did X, X, and X instead of the uh, the broker saying or consultant saying, that's a great question. I'll get back to the carrier. They'll give me the information. I'll scrub the data. I'll put it into spreadsheets. We'll print them off. We'll come here and have a discussion in three weeks. We just say, let me show you. We click a few buttons and it pops up and it shows them. And this was a very simple, logical answer to me because that's how the HR departments, the CFO, they like, Everybody, how do you look at your finance? You go on a Mint. You go on to the online banking. It's aggregated and it's real time. Why aren't they doing it, right? The industry's not going away. There's little people servicing it and the quality wasn't good. So the big trends, I'm not making up demand. I'm not hoping. I'm not, it's just, it's it's there. We just need to offer. I mean, we, you know, we sold 15 businesses in one month. And uh, uh, I mean, we were, it, Which you know, that's these, insane. That's what most people do in like two years, right? Or their whole yeah, business. Like yeah. It's, yeah, a lot of people only have like 10 clients. And yeah. so it was an effective way. But the thing about it is, although, yes, it had to do with us, what we were doing where we are identifying opportunity that was inevitable. Yeah. It's not me. I'm not making it up. I'm not selling how amazing I am. I'm solving your problem that is there and the tools are and this is the way the wave is going. I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care if it's sales, if it's real estate. I don't care if you're going into a job. Okay, if you're looking for a job, you need to go where, I, go where, it's, go where the waves come. Exactly, yeah. You want to ride to, that. I mean, if you okay, so if you didn't have anything you have today, like if you were, uh, let's just say 26, you had a couple years of work experience in in just random work experience, right? Yeah. And you're and you you know what you know, yeah. what and and you don't have capital. I'm going to take real estate away. Yeah. I, well, well, yeah, whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. I want to, uh, cause I know you'd probably go into real estate, but what would you do? I, I do twofold. I do real estate and, and why? 
and I so I would do real estate as a wealth generation protection and um, passive income. What model. would you start with? Like houses? Um, I would start. I, I would start with single family homes, um, and I would start by either uh, building. Or I would do it. It'd be a value add strategy, just like I do in commercial real estate. Same thing. Um, I would start there, and I would utilize um, other people and other people's money to try to grow it quickly. I'd work really hard on the upfront to develop a strategy that I could then um, express to others. Right on the real estate side. Meanwhile, while I was doing my real estate, I would get a W two job that offered me benefits, a steady paycheck. Um, and for me, it would be sales. That's within my core competency. It's what I understand. And I would be looking at sales that um, not a lot of people want to go into and have very large rewards for those that stick it out. The like reason residual, maybe? Yeah, residual, big upfront. I need to be in control and I want a compounding layer effect. So if I do my work, I'm still getting paid after the fact. That's why I like insurance, but there's lots of other sales. There's uh, tech sales that do that with software systems. You get paid on an ongoing basis. So those would be the things in a sales job that I would look for. Um, And then I would uh, limit my expenses. I would try to wave, uh, ride the wave of the company. So, because if I'm in sales, I'm going somewhere where the sales are given. I don't want to convince people. They need it. I just need to give it to them. All right. I, I don't want to work too hard for sales because if you have to work really hard for the sale, you need to find a new product. Right. You need to find something else because that means there's not a demand. It needs to be a, a, a no brainer for people. And you're simply filling in that demand. So you need to be putting all the things at your back that can make you successful. I think so many people try and what is really probably the crux of this entire conversation, they try so hard to make themselves good. And like, oh, if I'm, if I get better, I'm going to be awesome. Where I'm like, well, why don't you do this instead? Change your circumstances and make sure your circumstances are the best they can be because that will take you. That's why I'm very big on mentors. That's why I'm very big on you don't work for wages. You work for opportunity and knowledge, right? Because you need to insert yourself in a circumstance that will propel you. If if I'm in a bad circumstance, so if I, if I had to start out and I put myself in bad circumstances, I, I'd fail, even knowing what I know today, because I can't do it on my own. I, I need the market, and I need to identify those things properly, and I need to put myself in the way of that. And we hear people talk about this a lot, and they don't even realize, but a dead-end job, right? Yeah. The reason it's a dead-end job is because it's not going anywhere. Nobody wants it. So you need to insert yourself. Be the bear, not the fisherman insert yourself into forward momentum and circumstances that will take you and the more effort you apply it magnifies the result but you don't want to, you don't want to be in something that's dependent on you real estate is amazing because it's not dependent on you and if it is dependent on you solely for your success you're going to have a really hard life don't fight the current you you won't make it and so when we look at today's climate and taking this all the way back to how we started because this is really important this is a really important conversation right now a lot of people are struggling to identify those waves because first of all capitalism left for a while they feel like there's no opportunity they feel like there's no chances uh or there's no there's no way to change or they feel confused 
and it, things are dominated in the headlines. And this is reasonable. This is understandable. This is an economic effect. And when you look at this, you got to also realize, though, that most of the time, these times offer the best solutions because right now, more people have problems than they have solutions. And when you get down to it, that's where success comes from. We started up our companies in recessions. There were opportunities because there was problems. And when you find the biggest problems, you catch the biggest waves, it puts yourself in that kind of momentum and that trend will carry out for years and it's having wind in your sails. You can lower your effort, you can scale and you can grow. Like Jeff Bezos, yeah, the guy's a genius. I'll never, ever, ever, ever even closely remotely get close to him. But Jeff Bezos didn't become Jeff Bezos because he was so smart. That has nothing to do with that, right? Jeff Bezos put himself in the best situation to become successful. Then he did his part, worked his butt off, right? And everything else like that that made him successful. But if he was swimming against the stream, he would have been washed down the river. Totally different. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. We'll call it there. Yeah. I hope you guys are still listening. Everybody just jumped off here because we were going. We're at two hours or something. Anyway. Yeah, we we were close. But we hope this this was helpful for you guys because, once again, guys, we're literally just talking about this stuff. These are conversations that we've been having for years, and we do, and we will, and we continue to because we are continually trying to identify the waves and changes, make sure we're taking down our biases, properly evaluating these things. So you should be having these conversations too. Finding people. Finding people that you can have the conversations with that are not actually giving you bad information and taking you down the wrong path. I hope this was great, guys. If you liked it, give us a five-star and a good review. And, you know, you'll have eternal luck. It's it's a true truth. Just hit it. Just hit subscribe. Uh, hit five star. <laughs> eternal luck. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.